So be reminded the United States got second and they still got a world record. <laughs> That's how fast those guys were running. Um, they were in second place and they still didn't get, uh, they got a world record, still didn't get gold. Today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 12 uh, where the author of Hebrews, is not really sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. So it's probably not the Apostle Paul. Some people think it was actually a woman. But whoever that was, they were very well versed in Jewish tradition. Definitely uh, someone that understood uh, the Jewish uh, history and, and law and had a deep, deep understanding of Jesus, especially as the high priest, our, our high priest. And in the Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the author of Hebrews uh, says these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In other words, if they did it to Jesus, he he could do it to you. If they didn't want to love on him, sometimes being a Christian is not always going to be easy. But when I think about Hebrews 12, I kind of distilled it down into three words for us today. Receive, run, and resolve. The author of Hebrews is showing us first that we receive uh, this legacy of faith, if you will, And then it's up to us to really turn it into a first-generation faith. If you read the preceding chapter of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews just goes out and lays out from the very beginning through Cain and Abel and Moses and Esau and, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and goes through the whole lineage of that to show how it wasn't because they were perfect that God accepted them. It was because of their faith, that their faith is what made them righteous, in a sense, in the sight of God of God, and that, that they wouldn't then hand that off to the next generation. And so when he's talking about in Hebrews 12, that this cloud of witnesses, we're essentially standing on the shoulders of giants, men and women just like us, who have finished the race and have gone on into glory. They are now a part of what we would call the great cloud of witnesses, a number, a, a number of people almost innumerable you can almost say it's in the book of Revelation when John has this vision and he sees this crowd around the throne of God and he can't put a number on it, but it's, it's beyond, almost beyond a description. The, the size, the number, of, think of all the number of people, not just on earth, but very well in other parts of the universe, people that have gone on into heaven. So the author of Hebrews is indicating here that what we have in faith is what we have received in some ways that it is because of a constellation of adults that have impacted your life and mine that have helped shape our faith, right? I can remember Mrs. Smith from Sunday school class, First Baptist Church of Goldsboro. We had what's called a felt board. Anybody remember the felt board? We had little pieces. It's it's kids, it's sort of like a television screen, but not as cool. And you would move pieces of fabric around to tell Bible stories. I remember Mrs. Smith. She was part of that, handing off that baton to me. And there's so many people like that, right? We could we could talk about we have received this faith from our mothers our fathers our grandfathers our grandmothers from these individuals uh and then next sunday i'm going to be addressing what it means to have a first generation faith though right it's not just enough to go well yeah my grandfather went to church so it's kind of important to me no god wants us to have a first generation faith and i'm going to i'm going to jump into that like i said next week um every generation it seems 
thinks that we're so novel. We think we're so creative when it comes to God or church. I've heard a lot of uh, Methodist clergy over the past few years say things like, God is doing a new thing, which is code word for I can do whatever I want and stick God's name on it. There's another word for God is doing a new thing. There's really another word for new ideas in theology. It's called heresy, okay? When we think we know better than the apostles, or I know better than the writers of the Bible, or I even know better than the people that handed the faith off to me. No, we receive what we have. We can't invent new ideas, but people, our ego doesn't like to receive. We, we want to think we're being creative, but no, there's actually great richness and depth in receiving the faith that's been given to us from the generations before us. But hey, I'm as guilty of that as anybody else. I remember in college in the year 2000, there was a movement called the Passion Movement that impacted tens of thousands of young adults across the United States, and it still goes on to this day. Uh, you can still go to the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta on New Year's Eve, young adults, and be with 60,000 other college students and high school seniors, um, and it deeply impacted us, and it was just gatherings of young adults for worship and prayer and fasting. Uh, it was like, you know, Chris Tomlin and, you know, all those guys were just getting started, and, you know, I grew up in Pew and Hymnal Church, right? Many of you did. And so when I came into this new expression of guitar and lyrics on a wall, I was like, these people are crazy. Like, what is going on here? You know, but we thought we had invented worship, right? We were so amped that we thought this is it. This is what the true expression of worship is. An organ? What? No. This is what it's all about, right? We thought we had essentially discovered that we got it right, not the generation before us, right? Every generation thinks that, don't we? That, that okay, we fixed the church problem, but here's, here's the truth. The organ was scandalous at some point. The year 1400-ish. What is this loud thing that's shaking the walls? No, no, no. You know, every generation thinks we're so novel, but the only reason we are where we are is because someone else blazed the trail for me and you. Some person in the faith made a way. We are receiving what has already been established. Yeah, it can come through a different form of technology, but the, me- the medium may change, but the message does not. It has never changed. God is always the same. So this Bible we hold in our hands, do you know how many people have been killed and skinned alive, and made into human torches, and etc. fed to lions, because of this book that we now receive, that you got in, as a third grader, or you got in confirmation, or you bought in the store? How many people were killed for this? For example, there's a missionary named Adoniram Judson that felt the call of God to go to the nation of Burma in the 19th century, an unreached people group. He would eventually lose two of his wives, all of his children would die on the island of Burma. He would be destitute and living in the jungle in a hut surrounded by tigers. He was so uh, overcome with the difficulty of what God had called him to do, he dug his own grave. He was ready. And, but out of that experience, Adoniram Judson would write what is still today the only Burmese translation of the Bible. And he would write half of the English Burmese dictionary himself. No one is where we are if not for the people that have come before us. 
William Tyndale, in the year 1526, he translated the New Testament into English. By the year 1536, he was killed and burned alive by the king of England. And his final words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Whatever we have, it's been given to us by those who have gone before us, right? When I worked at the Billy Graham Association, one day they got up and said, hey, Dr. Graham and his wisdom saved a lot of money, and we're going to do a big project called My Hope. And when you talk about a lot of money, it was $160 million that had accumulated in the slush fund. And so what, what they did with it, you never heard about this, they went around the world and they bought TV airtime in India and Pakistan and Lebanon and all these places that were unreachable, Saudi Arabia, bought airtime and aired Christian 30-minute show with a gospel presentation in the original language. And the, outri- the, the, the ex- response was tremendous around the world. Over uh, two million people said yes to Jesus in India alone. But you never heard about that. But a lot of those people got killed. A lot of the people on TV stations would get burned. They burned them down, blew them up, stuff like that. We are not where we are without those who have made sacrifices before us. We receive what we have. Like in the movie The Goonies, when the kid, Mike, he says, it's our time. Remember that? I'm such a Gen X guy at this point. Do you remember that? It's our time. It's our time. What we have, it is not new, but it is our turn. It is our turn. So we receive and then we run. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. So he's really saying when we run, we don't run alone. Running alone, I've run alone a lot, it's okay, but it's way more exciting to be in a race, isn't it? To have people around you, it's easier, it's more exhilarating to run because we're surrounded by this cloud of witness and, and witnesses in a sense. I have a spotty history with running a few 5Ks did a few uh, many years ago. Uh, my only motivation in 5Ks was to not let the dad pushing a stroller beat me. <laughs> and he got close a few times. Stroller dad. Um, and I was like, no. And the, right at the finish line, I would just push it and just be like, yes! Eight minute, 15 second mile. But it's easier, you stir each other on, you know? It's like iron sharpens iron. When we run the race together, we, we have each other to stir each other on. So it's important to run with a crowd, but not every crowd is good, right? You don't want to run with just any crowd. Some crowds are not good. Some crowds, you know, we tell our teenagers that, don't we? Don't run with the wrong crowd. They all jumped off a bridge. Would you as well, etc. But as adults, do we do the same thing? Do we run with the wrong crowd as adults? Some of us do. Not all crowds are good. I remember when I went to a ministry conference in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, many, many years ago, I had a room downtown Louisville, and my window, I could see the KFC Yum Center. Still a weird name for an arena for me. But there's the KFC Center. It holds like you know, 15,000 people or whatever, where, the, you know, where they have their basketball games for Louisville. And, I'm in my room at about 11 p.m. at night, and I hear this huge crowd outside, so much noise. I thought, what's going on? So I I look out my window, and I see this enormous crowd coming down the street, and I'm not exaggerating. It was the largest group of drunk people I have ever seen in my life. It was 15,000 people that could not walk. It was staggering people helping staggering people. What it was was a Jimmy Buffett concert. 
had just finished. Now, don't get me wrong. I love songs about food and beaches, but I just sat there and just thought, oh, my. I didn't say, oh, my God, but I was like, oh, my word. I felt sort of like what is, how God thinks when he looks down at us. He doesn't say, oh, God, but he's like, me, oh, my. Oh, my goodness. Depending on what kind of crowd you run with, it determines the race you run. I remember when I ran cross country for about three seconds in high school, um, I was running with some guys at practice and I thought my lungs were gonna explode. And the little group I was with, they were like, hey, let's cut through the woods. And I was like, sure, good idea. So, you know, the wrong crowd, and I didn't, I didn't even make the team, I don't think, you know. Running with the right crowd makes a huge difference with the race uh, that you run. Receive, run, and then resolve. Resolve, the author of Hebrews is really saying, look with resolve at this race that you're running. That same cross-country team did teach me something good about running, which is keep your head up. If you run, look down while you're running, you're going to slow down, but keep your eye on the horizon, and your time will be far, far better. Keep that posture up. Run with resolve. Don't run weak and, and falling down, and run with the right crowd. And, and the author here says, how do we do this? Well, we look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of God. So one way we run this race is that we consider the hostility that Jesus faced, and that we could face the very same thing sometimes in our lives, that he faced from sinners, so that you won't grow weary or lose heart. Keep your eyes on him with resolve. Stay focused. Because when you focus on him daily, maybe a crowd will gather. A crowd will gather. John Wesley, I love this quote from him, from Wesley. He said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. I love that idea. And he, he practiced that. He'd preach in fields and coal mines and, and people would come around just to hear this guy preach sermons, not because of him, but because of what Jesus was doing through him. I've told this story a few years ago, but... It's too good not to share again about drawing a crowd. Uh, guilty pleasure, I like watching Antiques Roadshow. Anybody like that show? You see, watch it on some of the PBS adherents. Um, and uh, the, probably the most famous P Antiques Roadshow story is a man who uh, was in the military in 1974 or so, and he bought a Rolex watch when he was overseas for $345.97. Well, he turned it into Antiques Roadshow. He had never signed the documents. He never worn it. Uh, it was the exact same watch that Paul Newman wore in a movie, uh, and it was immaculate condition. He took it to the uh, people, and they looked at everything they talked about it, and the guy said, okay, your watch, if you had worn it, it'd be worth about $400,000 now. But because it's perfect, it's worth about 700000 And the guy literally falls on the ground. And people start to gather. They start to, oh, the, the camera crew is leaning in. Everybody is now transfixed on this one thing. A crowd is gathered purely because of, of this news that has happened. And this is just a watch, y'all. I mean, this is just money. That's a lot of money. But there, there's a crowd gathering for this purpose. You know, every crowd is, is focused on something. Every crowd is looking at something. You've heard the phrase, oh, they drew a crowd. Yes, because they're all looking at one thing. They're sharing a vision, aren't they? 
crowds have a shared experience. And for the church, what's our vision? You know, what's our vision? For, the, for, for those who have gone ahead of us, their vision now is resurrected Christ, seen without blinders on, full experience of the glory of God forever. They, they now see that. That's their shared vision. Here on earth, that should also be our shared vision, but what's ours as well? Go, bigger than Rolex, bigger than a football game, bigger than a performer on the street, our shared experience, let's go way out. We want to go way, way out. What is our shared vision? Look at this image. This is our shared vision. The Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is who you're looking at. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The author of life would become death so that we would live. The king of all creation would become a slave so that we would live. He who had no sin would become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is where the power is. This is the church's message, to lift high the cross, for it's through the cross that we have life. And it's through the cross that all people, regardless of where you come from or your socioeconomic status or how worthy or unworthy you feel, the ground is level for all men and women and children He invites us to his table. He invites us to communion with him. And as we come to his table tonight, or this morning, we remember on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread, the Passover bread that represented the unleavened bread that they had to eat in a hurry to get out of Egypt in Exodus. He took that bread. He said, now this is my body and I will break this for you. So as often as you take this meal, do it in remembrance of me. And then he would take the cup, a cup of wine, and say, this is not wine, this is my blood. Poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you take this, remember me. This is the blood of the new covenant, a covenant that God will never break. And then when we come to his table, His blood makes you clean, my friends. That which was scarlet is now whiter than snow. You receive his forgiveness for you. Do not live in the past any longer, Jesus says, but look forward to the future full of hope because of what he has done for us. Behold, the Lamb of God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ redeemed by his blood. Wash us, O Lord, and make us clean. Let us be a people, Lord, not by our own merit, our own righteousness, our own ability. God, that none of us are as we should be. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect people. None of us are good. It's only by your merit, O God, that we are righteous. It's only by your work on the cross on our behalf that we can be made right with you. 
And I pray for anyone watching right now that has never given their life to you, Jesus. I pray that they would know it is as simple as saying a prayer. Just say to you, Lord, I give you my life. Make me new. Make me a new creation in Christ. Forgive me of my sin and wash me clean. Amen. God, when we give you our hearts, you will not turn us away. When, when we pray that prayer, we might not feel anything. And that's okay. Over time, we'll feel our motivations change more into alignment with the will and guidance of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Move in this time, O oh God, as we continue to worship you and we come before your table. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would take out your celebration cup, if you do not have one, uh, raise your hand and an usher will gladly bring you one. You are more than welcome after we take communion to come forward and pray. If you want to wait to take it until you come and kneel, you're welcome to do that. We have kneelers here. We have a kneeler in the back of the room there. Uh, you can, may also do that if that's something with your time with God. You can also open the, the bread part. My friends, this is the Lamb of God. Take and eat, all of you. Open the fruit of the vine. Behold, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As we sing these final songs, please come forward and pray or go in the back and pray. We'd love for you to offer that to you.